Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. Amen. I appreciate what I feel here tonight. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, I appreciate what I feel in this place tonight. And uh, I want you, if you will, to join me in the book of Acts chapter 9. And uh, I have a request that may seem um, a little odd, but I just want you to stay with me tonight, okay? Don't check out. Don't they dream. I feel like the Lord has given me a word for this church for this night. And uh, I have... No idea ever, obviously, who is going to exactly be here in church. And, uh, and so I, I, didn't, I didn't come up with something because you're here tonight. I hadn't put this together in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> and, uh, but I feel like the Lord wants to speak something into all of our lives. But if you will join me in Acts 9, I'm going to read the first six verses but, but just keep your Bibles handy and keep them open because we're going to be referring to this and then moving on a little bit further. The book of Acts 9 and uh, verse number 1. The Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I want us to understand the complete setting. I know we understand the road to Damascus experience, but I want us to really understand the very first two verses and that is what was in his mind and his heart, his mission. He was seeking letters for none, nothing less than just absolute carnage against God's people. And in that frame of mind, we see what God did for him. I want to speak to you tonight from this subject, water from an unlikely well. Water from an unlikely well. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord today. I always stand pretty amazed at how the Lord can 
just so re- repeatedly draw something new out of a very familiar passage of Scripture. Um, I try to make it a habit to read through the book of Acts several times in the course of a year. Um, and so to say that I have been in this chapter and through these verses, uh, just like many, if not most of you, is an understatement. We read them again and again. But when I read the ninth chapter of Acts, I, I suppose the thing that always when I read this chapter that stands out to me the most, if I had to summarize it in one word, it would just be God, it would just be grace. God's unexplainable and unspeakable grace that despite the circumstances, he can step in and do something spectacular. So the Lord takes this man, Saul, and transforms him into a great apostle. It was, it was his voice, according to the very passage that we're reading tonight, later uh, in this scripture, we understand that it was this man and this voice that became an open door to the Gentiles. He became a voice into the life of kings. That's what the scripture says. And certainly became a minister to the children of Israel. And so... Um, we understand the value and the validity, of course, of the Apostle Paul's life as we sit here in 2015 comfortably with our New Testament open in our lap. We understand the life of Saul who was later to become Paul. But when I see what God did with this man, I realize, and I want to be able tonight here in this comment to speak for all of us. When I see what God did in the life of Saul, I realize the possibilities that he can do in me. Amen. And I want you to understand I'm speaking on your behalf too. When I see what God has done in the life of Paul, I see what he can do in your life as well. There is nothing that can limit God. And so I'm thankful that the Lord can do that. He was water, certainly, from an unlikely well. So here is a man that was not only feared uh, by the New Testament church for just... uh, for being imprisoned or being beaten, but here was a man feared rightly so because he, were, he was a man who had put many to death for the sake of the gospel. And so we need to understand this is not, a, this is not just a little children's story that we're going to here tonight. This is, this is life and death. He did everything in his power to destroy, to stop, to hinder, to frustrate the preaching of the power in the name of Jesus. Yet God in his grace stepped into this man's life at what we may deem in a very human fashion at a most unlikely moment. And God began to do a work of grace in his life and used him to change the world. And that's not a phrase that I'm using loosely. He literally changed the world. Amen. God used him so greatly that The ministry of the Apostle Paul, the fruit of that ministry is still being reaped today. As a matter of fact, just the fact that we're all gathered in this house and we have our rapt attention drawn right here to the storyline of his conversion is proof that that the fruit of the conversion in this man's ministry lives on. You know, there's, there's a tendency for all of us to look at Paul and others like him and uh, just sort of think that he must have been some golden child that, uh, you know, he was just this special individual from birth and that somehow God just utilized his talent and ability. And we may feel like in, in, uh, in light of that, 
that, uh, that the Lord could not use us like he did Paul. He could not do that he, he, because we're not born of that lineage or we're not born with that silver spoon in our mouth. I, I suppose on some level that everyone in this building, young and old alike, would agree that we feel unworthy to be used of the Lord in any fashion, in any manner. I certainly can testify to that myself. But I, I found something and, or heard something many years ago that I have found to be true. I'm thankful that even though it was just a statement that was made in a sermon, I'm thankful that I latched onto it. I'm, I'm thankful that it lodged in my heart because I held on to that from that very moment until this very moment. And that is, and I have repeated this many times through the years myself, that God isn't looking for ability. He is looking for availability. And uh, that's just not some little line that we can thrust in here to make everything sound as though it rhymes and it is in harmony. But it is really the truth. God isn't necessarily looking for ability. He's just looking for us uh, that we'll avail ourselves and make our hands and our lives available to him. And so in considering whether or not God could use any one of us to accomplish his will, I want to take a few minutes this evening and look into the uh, life of a very familiar man, a Bible character, we know him as the Apostle Paul, but I want to just talk about uh, in just little minuscule points his life. Consider some of the obstacles that he faced in his life and ministry, but I want to just assure you this evening that I am, with the help of the Lord, headed somewhere. So just we're not just talking about Paul and rambling on. Don't let your mind just run ahead of the story and feel like we're already at the end. According to what we can find in Scripture, we can plainly see that God did in in times past and still does today, work through the circumstances of our lives, whether it's past circumstances or present circumstances, God can work through our, those circumstances in our life to accomplish his will. Now, when, when you think about the frailty of humanity and when you think about the fickle nature of humanity and you think then that God in his infinite wisdom placed the keys of the kingdom. I'm not, I'm not just talking about Simon Peter, but when he placed the bulk of the ministry upon the shoulders of just mere human, hu, hu, mankind, when he, humankind, to think that God would put something as, as important as eternity in the hands of something that can be so fickle at times. Amen. All of us can be very, very fickle at times. So, I think about what God has done in, uh, in our lives to bring us where we are. And you know what he did? He used common, frail human beings to bring us to where we are right now. I'm very humbled by that. There are at least three things that all of us have in common, and that is that we all have a past. Perhaps it's tarnished and it has scars that we're not proud of. There are probably chapters of our life and, uh, of yesterday that we're not too happy or glib to go back and revisit some of those places. There may be entire, not just days, there may be entire seasons of our lives that we would just rather not think about. They're there, but we don't want to dwell on that. We also have a present, and perhaps our, even our present day, today, may be tested and tried. We may feel like the fiber of our very today is being pulled apart one thread at a time. And we also have a future. So we have a past, we have a present, we have a future. Paul certainly had a past. 
he had a pretty bloody past, a pretty tarnished past. According to his own testimony, he was guilty of doing everything within his power. And you have to understand how much authority and power that, that, that Saul had at this particular time. This was not just some man walking down the street. He had a lot of power, a lot of authority. So he was, by his own testimony, guilty of doing everything within his power to stop the movement of Christianity. He was wanting to stop the New Testament church. We can find evidence of this in Acts 22, Acts 26, many other places. In Acts 22, Paul said this, and I persecuted this way unto the death, unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Now think about that. You know, generally, uh, generally women and children are kind of given a pass in in, uh, in certain circumstances. I mean, we're, we, we want to we protect the women and children. But Paul, even in our opening text, went seeking letters to, to go to Damascus to bind anyone that he found of this way, men or women, male or female, very, very specific, that we're going to do what we can to stop this. And again, in, in Acts 22 and 4, he, de- he confessed, I delivered them to prisons, and both men and women. In the 26th chapter of Acts, we have this one for the screen, chapter 26, verse 10. This is again the words of Paul, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from chief priests. And so lest you think that he's just trying to shift the blame Uh, to somebody else let's keep reading and when they were put to death I gave my voice against them amen he said I I, this here's some dirty laundry if you want to go through some dirty laundry here it is I persecuted innocent men and women and I lent my voice to this my authority it seems obvious that Paul did have great authority in verse 11 Paul confesses to imprisoning many of these Christians. He punished them in various synagogues and compelled them to blaspheme. And and the word blaspheme then is as important as it is to us today. He compelled them at their very life to blaspheme or lose their life. According to some historians, Paul Paul would even make them curse the Lord in order to save their lives. That was his threat. I wonder if that was... It was if it was not this custom that uh, that Simon Peter was leaning on when he was found warming his hands around the wrong fire, and when he was accused of being one of them, that the Bible say that that he cursed. Amen. I don't know that he cursed the Lord. I don't know. I just wondered that when I read that today, if that wasn't what he was just trying to flex his muscles a little bit and just try to prove that I am not. Uh, I am not of of them. Paul says, I gave my voice against them. In other words, he gave his influence or his authority against them. He gave them the thumbs up, the nod, whatever it took to stop them. It's obvious from these points of reference that that Paul, if we were to put this in our language today, was nothing less than a hardened criminal. He was a murderer of innocent men and women. There seems to be a... In in my mind, there seems to be a great paradox in the life of Paul. Religiously, he was a man to be envied because he had sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He had had sat at the best of the best. He had the best of the teaching and training. And so 
when it comes to religion, he was a, a man to be greatly envied because he was a very knowledgeable man, a very educated man, a very influential person, a very uh, a great speaker. And, and he, he had the ability to do that because he refers later that he was not going to come with excellency of speech. He wanted to make known that I'm not going to lean on my own talent or my own ability, whether that's natural giftings or those are things that were learned or taught to him. And so religiously, he was a man to be envied. But morally, he was a very wicked man. A very wicked man. Even though he thought he was doing the right thing, it, had, it, it, it takes a certain level of wickedness, I think, to, to kill men and women. I, I know it seems unthinkable that God could use such a person for his glory, but I'm teaching right out of the Bible that I hope you're holding on to, and so you can read this for yourself. This past Sunday, Brother Jerry referred to our sins or our past as being placed as far as the east is from the west. And certainly that is what the scripture says and I concur with that. And the Bible talks about, it uh, doesn't necessarily refer to the sea of forgetfulness as we, as we call that or refer to that, but the, certainly the scripture does imply uh, that there is a sea where our sins are, are cast. Now, I, I think that it's only fair that we understand this as a whole and I don't want to spend too much time right here because I'm going to deal with this again in just a moment but if we're not careful we can get we can get so caught up in grace that we think that there is no ramifications but there is a law of the harvest that we can never escape amen our sins are forgiven but but we've got some seed planted in the ground in the ground and a harvest invariably is going to come up of that uh, uh, if, if I could just refer real quickly to the, the prodigal son. What a great story of redemption. And we relish in that. And, and uh, I, I, as a matter of fact, mentioned it just a few services ago about the father saying, kill the fatted calf, the fatted calf. And so I think with anticipation, the father was looking to the hillside for his son to return. But the Bible says, and this is what we can't afford to forget in all of this grace, we can't afford to forget that the scripture talks about he squandered or spent all and when he came home, there's no talk ever of that being restored because what he spent, he spent. What was, what was gone was gone. He was back home and a lot of things restored to him as far as relationships and things of that nature. But his inheritance, there was a law of the harvest. Does that make sense? I mean, let me move on. I, I don't want to lose you here. But God can use us irrespective of where we have been. I'm thankful that I've been born again. I'm thankful... Uh, that, that's not just a slogan, that's not just a bumper sticker to me or to you, but I'm thankful for the fresh start, for that clean slate. There are three things that serve uh, as that forever record of our past. Our own memories, number one, of where we've been, we know. We know like no one else knows about our past. And so there's that one record that just seems to be hanging out there. The other record of our past is held by others that knew us prior to our salvation. Somebody that knew the old us, the other man. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible talks about when Jacob had this wrestling match with the angel, that his name was changed to Israel. And I've often reminded you of this, that from that moment on, never again did Jacob refer to himself as Jacob, but he always referred to himself as Israel. But many other people continue to call him Jacob because they remember the man that he used to be. And so, unfortunately, there are some of us in this room tonight uh, that probably somebody just remembers the Jacob in us and not the Israel in us. 
And then, of course, the third record of our past is held by the great nemesis Satan himself, the accuser of the brethren who night and day brings those accusations before the Lord. He doesn't seem to mind throwing up our past. He doesn't seem to mind uh, mind reminding us of our failures no matter how great or minuscule they may be. Even though these things are true, I also want to remind you of something else. I may remember my past. You may remember your past. You may have friends and family that remember your past. And certainly, Satan remembers your past. But I'm thankful that God has forgotten my past. I have a hard time, to be honest with you, even comprehending that. I have a hard time comprehending that. I I, I will never forget, I don't remember the setting, but I remember, never will forget when I heard uh, a preacher say, when you you ask God to forgive you of something that you've legitimately repented of, he doesn't even remember what you're talking about. I mean, that's kind of hard to wrap my little, maybe some of you got complete grasp of that, but my little peanut brain, sometimes I just have a hard time comprehending that God could, could forget about uh, the scars of yesterday, that he has forgotten my past. It, it doesn't serve as an obstacle. The man that I was doesn't serve as an obstacle for God to use me, not only in the present or use you in the present, but also in the future. Throughout the Bible, God used people in spite of and after great failures. Am I right? When you read the book of Hebrews, Brother Gibson and I were talking about this Monday. When you read the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, this roll call of the heroes of faith, if you study their lives, it's it's not all roses and it's not all glory. It's not all trophies on the mantle. Uh, Many of them have scars. Simon Peter was mightily used of the Lord, yet, as I mentioned a moment ago, he denied the Lord three times. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Moses was a murderer, yet God used him for his glory. Samson sinned against God not once, but multiple times. And yet, in the end of his life, again, the law of the harvest was certainly in effect here, but in the end of his life, he killed more Philistines than he did in his entire lifetime. Abraham lied, yet he was used of God. Jacob was a deceiver, yet the Lord transformed him, as I mentioned a moment ago, into Israel and used him greatly for the kingdom's sake. There are many others that could be named tonight, but for the, the, the point that remains the same is that God can still use broken things. God can still work with broken things. Now, if you're not broken, if you have no fractures, if you have no hang-ups, if you have no hiccups, you're probably not going to get a lot out of this tonight. I should have said that right out of the gate and I could have just dismissed you and you gone back into the annex and just had a Pepsi or something. But if you've got some problems, I want to tell you that God can still work with broken things. He can work with damaged things. I said earlier that we all have a past, a present, and a future, and we can certainly see from the life of Paul that our past will not prevent us from doing a great work for God. As we continue to look at Paul's life in the book of Acts 9, Uh, We not only see his past revealed, but we also see that present state revealed. While on his way to Damascus to persecute even more Christians, to murder even more, and to take them uh, to uh, an untimely and unfortunate death, the Lord gives him an experience like no one ever before or after has ever had. Even in the state of mind that he was in, God in his mercy with murder on his mind My, my, my. We would be praying, God, kill him. 
That's the truth. If we knew that he was on his way, if we knew that he was coming to our city and he was going to kill our family, we would say, Lord, take him out. Just snuff him out right now. We wouldn't dare cross our mind that God could take this moment and freeze this frame and just stop him in his tracks and turn all of this around. Here is a man that has blood dripping from his hands on his way to persecute more and the Lord touches him. It amazes me that God can take us with all of our baggage and still use us because we all have baggage. There are certain liabilities that every one of us bring when we come into the kingdom of God because I'm sorry to keep going back to Sunday, but as Brother Jerry said, if you got the Holy Ghost when you, if you had red hair and freckles when you got the Holy Ghost, he was, I thought it was kind of a compliment, but uh, (laughs) that's how I took it. If, it, when you get the Holy Ghost, you're still going to have that. Yes, there, there, certain things, there are certain things that we just kind of bring to the table. There are certain characteristics that we bring to the table, certain liabilities that when we come to God, we bring them with us to God. Some people come to the Lord uneducated. I'm not being unkind. Just stay with me here. Maybe others come to the Lord and they've got very few resources. They don't have a lot to work with. And uh, maybe some come to the Lord and, and they're just weak in their faith and they don't have a lot to, of muscle spiritually to flex. However, God has always been able to work through those weaknesses. Historically, God, I'm not just talking about in the Bible, I'm talking about historically in, in our times, God has used men and women both that could not read or write. Amen. I, I know some of you know what I'm talking about is true that God used men and women that could not write and made some of the greatest teachers and preachers and leaders out of them. And, and, and part of that, we're standing on the shoulders of many like that. They didn't have a lot. They, they didn't have a lot of pluses to bring to the table. They had a lot of liabilities to bring to the table. But God used them. Many of them could quote scriptures from a book they could not even read. That's the truth. <laughs> My aunt shared with me not long ago uh, that the very first time my grandfather, uh, um, not, not the very first, yeah, the very first time he ever preached, he was in a service. Brother D.L. Welch, the man that had baptized him in Jesus' name, was there to preach. My grandfather went there to hear him preach. And when Brother Welch got up to preach, when he got up to take the service, he said, I won't be preaching tonight. Brother Tumman has the message. Yeah. And so... When he got through preaching, Brother Welch told him after, after the service that he quoted 66 verses. I'm not suggesting my, father, my grandfather couldn't read or write, but what I'm telling you is that God can, can make up those differences. God can give, and he has always worked through that. And so many of them could not even, could not even read or write, yet God had, had, a, they had the ability to commit that word to their heart somehow. God took them with very few resources, some... And, and provided a way, not where there seemed like there was no way, but God made a way where there literally was no way. Amen. God used them. God has taken people that were weak and even unstable in their faith and made giants out of them. Amen. That's, now, that's one side of the coin. I want to flip this coin over real, real quick because some of the liabilities that we bring to the table are not uh, the lack of education or the lack of resources or, or being weak in the faith. Sometimes people come to the Lord and they're just arrogant as all outdoors. 
And they got so much pride and ego, they hardly will fit in a building. That's the truth. Some rely on their own talent, their own ability, their own natural giftings, and that's what they rest on and don't have to rely. You understand what I'm saying here in context. They don't necessarily have to depend on a fresh anointing from the Lord or a fresh touch from God. But I'm going to tell you, if you ever do anything of eternal consequence, you're going to need a fresh anointing from the Lord, a fresh touch from God. Amen. You're going to have to have that fresh touch from the Lord. Brother uh, Brother J.H. Osborne has often said that uh, in, in many vocations, it doesn't matter how moral or immoral you are. A surgeon could be the most immoral man in the world. He could he could leave a hotel uh, this morning uh, out of the bed with a harlot last night and walk right in, scrub up his hands, and perform the greatest surgery of all time. It requires no morality. It requires nothing but just what he already has. An attorney, and I'm not picking on just these fields. I'm just... I'm just using, I'm going to blame him. I'm using his illustration. <laughs> An attorney or a, a doctor could be the most immoral, the most dishonest individual and still perform their duties. But when we're talking about touching somebody's life eternally, we need a fresh touch from God. I don't care how talented we are, how much ability we have, we need a fresh touch from God. Amen. Amen. What a great service we had Sunday. A great message in, in, in the service, the first service and, and the, the Spirit of God moving mildly in our second service. But you know what? That's history. If we, We've captured it on CD. We've captured it on our website. But for all intent and purposes, we can't get back to that moment in time. And so I can't come here tonight, depending on what happened Sunday. I had to get on my face today and say, Lord, I gotta walk to that desk again tonight. I need you to touch me again. Touch me again. Amen. But here's what, I mentioned that, but let me finish this. I've watched people take the arrogant and the proud and grind them and hone them and work on them. I'm gonna tell you something. You've never been humble till God gets through with you. Amen. And so God can take them and he can work with them. Those that have natural talent and abilities that feel like they don't need the Lord, you can get your cage rattled. And God can prove to you this isn't a talent show. God can prove to us in a moment of time this is not this is not American Idol. This is not some star that's walking on. God can rattle our cage and help us to realize in an instant of time that this is eternal and this doesn't work just because we got a microphone in our hand, a suit coat on, a tie, or a shiny Bible in our arms. Is this all right? Amen. We need to understand that church is eternal. This is a spiritual happening here tonight and we need to be, we need the anointing of the Lord to touch us. Amen. That's all I know to say about that. We need God. And so God can take our pluses and add to our, our pluses and he can bring them into balance. God can take our minuses and bring them up into a perfect balance. And considering the life of Saul, I'm thankful that I know that God can take us from where we are. Change what needs to be changed <laughs> and use us. To the timid, he can give them a backbone. Amen. To the shy, he can put confidence in them. To those that don't know when to stop talking, God can put a regulator on. <laughs> they don't always let, them, let the Lord do it, but he's trying to do that. He's trying to do that. 
Again, the Bible is filled with many examples of people that had deficiencies in their life. Moses was 80 years old when God called him to work. God called him into the ministry in Exodus 7. He was fearful according to Exodus 4. He was not very eloquent according to Exodus 4.10. As a matter of fact, in, in chapter 4 and verse 13, uh, he, he just asked in so many words, he just said to the Lord, if, can you just get somebody else to do this for me? Could you not just find somebody else? And the anger of the Lord was stirred up. I, I mean, he, he, wasn't, he didn't just jump into this gung-ho, yet despite all of this baggage, God was able to use him. In the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, we are introduced to a man, we don't know his name, we just know, really, if, if, if we didn't know about his past, we wouldn't even have an introduction or a segue into his life. The Bible just talks about he was the demonic man of Gadara that lived in the tombs and, and he dwelt among the dead and, 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 and the, 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 the graveyard, if we put it in our, uh, our terms. And he cut himself with stones and he cried out and the whole town was held hostage in fear by this man and the spirit that possessed him. But you know what? The Lord took this unlikely, uh, he took water from this unlikely well and he said, I'm gonna use you for a witness and I'm gonna show show you and I'm going to show the whole town and the Bible says that when they saw him he was clothed and in his right mind hallelujah the book of second kings talks about four lepers who become unlikely savers to Jerusalem they were water from an unlikely well God just took them from where they were in their condition and he used them in spite of their leprosy in spite of their stigma in spite of what was wrong in spite of what was really wrong in their health in spite of what was really wrong in their life not just supposed wrong I mean if you had leprosy you had leprosy Hard to prove you got a headache. <laughs> hard to prove, hard to prove your elbows hurting, hard to prove that your shoulders are hurting, but 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 if you got leprosy, that's pretty uh, pretty out there. And so in spite of their circumstances, God was able to use them. And listen, I just want to say tonight that our present circumstances did not catch the Lord by surprise. They might have knocked the, it might have knocked the wind out of us. It might have rocked our world. It may have shaken us and we may have never dreamed at this point in our life this is where we would be but our current circumstances did not catch the Lord by surprise. And so the key here is for us to submit ourselves to God as we are and just let the Lord use us as we are. Here I am, Lord. Amen. The song says, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Amen. I want, to turn, I want to turn our attention. You know, let me just say this, that when the Lord uses us and we submit ourselves to him, that we can be used of the Lord in a multitude of places. Amen. We can be used in the local church. We may be used in another city or another state or even another country. But God can use us wherever and to do whatever. He certainly can. I want to turn our attention back to our opening text and read a little bit more of this story because as we pick up, as we pick up here, from this Damascus Road experience, the camera, if I can use this term, kind of shifts and focuses now on another man, another place, another time. The camera goes from Saul on the road to Damascus to one of the disciples, a man named Ananias. Now, you've got to just put yourself... I just read this slowly over and over and over and over again today because I, you just got to put yourself in Ananias' shoes. Here's a man just minding his own business. 
He's having probably a rather normal day. No indication one way or the other. But here's a man just minding his own business. And all of a sudden he hears from the Lord. Now that's got to be a pretty exciting thing to hear the Lord from heaven call your name. But what the Lord said was not too exciting. (laughs) Acts 9 and 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. (laughs) What would you have me do? I'm glad you asked. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. I love the word of God. It makes no pains to hide the flaws of its characters. And Ananias said, just like we would have probably said. And Ananias answered, Lord, um, I added the um. I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> but he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. I mean, he went from having a great day to oh no. And the Lord said, go thy way, listen, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul was feared by the Lord Jesus, the followers of the Lord. His conversion was seen by many. If you continue to read, the conversion of Paul was seen by many in the church as nothing more than just a sting operation. <laughs> he's working undercover. He has gone, he's gone undercover and he's just going to find out where we are. This is all just a hoax. He had to have somebody that went with him to prove that he really was converted. <laughs> Amen. And so I, I, I can't just camp out all night as much as I'd like to, so just read this chapter, if you will, as a homework assignment. But it's plain to see that, that Paul had many personal hurdles to get over to be used by the Lord, not just things in his own life, but the opinions of others. But God was able to use him in spite of everything that was wrong with him. I will again turn to the, to the pages of the Bible. I, wanna, I, just wanna, I know you're not asking for proof, but I just want to underline this again, that this same thing played out in the lives of many other people. God used a young Jewish girl named Esther who seemed like the most unlikely candidate to save his people from slaughter. She just, she just kind of minding her own business, not aware that God has her in the right place at the right time for such a time as this. God used a young unknown, uh, un, unknown young man at that time, at least unknown, by the name of David. He was just a shepherd, just on the backside of nowhere. As a matter of fact, when, when, when his father, his own father was asked to bring his sons before uh, the priest to, to be anointed, to be chosen king, he, he wasn't even important enough to his own father to be called. Is there not any left? Is it, well, yeah, I got one more. I mean, how hard is it to remember your children? Oh, yeah, there's that one guy. What's his name? <laughs> but God used him to be the greatest king of Israel. 
God used a, rich, a, a beggar named Lazarus to preach a daily sermon to a rich man. God draws water from an unlikely well. Now, regardless of the things that we've discussed tonight, God can and will use you if you will make yourself available. And so I'm, I'm going to use these two words, but don't get too shook up. But in closing, if our musicians will kind of make your way, but I, I do have a point that I want to get to right here. I mentioned earlier that I want to come back to something. And so I'm going to close with one final thing that, that just seemed to jump out at me yesterday as I was studying. Let's go back to Acts 9. And I read up to the 15th verse a moment ago. I want to read that again, but I want to read verse 16 as well. Acts 9 and 15, the Bible says, But the Lord said unto him, unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, verse 16 is the killer. Verse 16 is where I've been trying to get all night long. He said, I want you to go and get him. He is a chosen vessel. But verse 16 says, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. I, I, I need you to go him to, to him, pray for him. You're going to lay your hands on him. He's going to be healed. And this is going to be a great miracle. He's a chosen vessel and, and he's going to be a voice of the Gentiles. He's going to stand before kings. He's going to be a voice before the children of Israel. But I have one more thing I need to tell him. I need to show him one more thing. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for thy name's sake. Now, the Bible doesn't ever fill in all the blanks for us, but in my own way, I have tried to comprehend what this conversation, what this setting must have been like for Saul. Instead of proceeding as a persecutor, instead of going ahead, inflicting suffering on others, the Lord said, I'm going to show him how many things he himself must suffer for preaching this very doctrine. Some theologians, and, and, and I want you to give me as much room as you possibly will tonight. I'm not trying to create new doctrine or anything. I'm just dropping something in your heart. Some theologians think the words or the phrase, I will show him, literally refer to a vision that the Lord gave Saul Immediately. Perhaps the Lord said, I want you to see something. I'm going to give you some insight. You're going to see some of the trials and some of the pain, some of the heartache, some of the things that you're going to endure for the sake of the cause. As a matter of fact, from what I could find today, some suppose that he may have even in that vision beheld his own death. If this is remotely accurate, what a most thorough conviction Saul must have had to the truth on that road to Damascus. 
If the Lord said, I've chosen you, I want you to be a voice. I want the Spirit of God to settle in on us tonight because I feel like he is wanting to speak something into some hearts. What kind of conversion must this have been if the Lord said, I want to show you something? You're going to stand before kings. You're going to open the door for Gentiles. You're going to be a voice for the children of Israel. But I'm also going to show you what kind of suffering is going to come along with this. And here's my point. Saul kept walking. If that's what it takes, if that's what you're going to require of me, he kept walking. And the Lord said, I need to show him. You believe whatever you want to believe about how much the Lord showed him, but it says I want to show him what he's going to suffer, what great things he's going to suffer for my name's sake. He deliberately gave up the world he knew and forged forward in the work of God knowing what he would face. Amen. So I ask myself, was this Paul's thorn in the flesh? I've never let those type of things just gnaw away at me, but sometimes you have to ask yourself, what was that? I've heard many opinions of that. I don't think it, we, none will ever know, or if, if we did know one way or have an opinion one way or the other, it's not going to change the dynamics of things. I've often wondered, I, I have no idea, but I've often wondered if that thorn in the flesh wasn't the guilt that Paul lived with every day after his conversion. He went to places, if I could just talk in our language, he went to churches to preach and hold revivals where widows sat. Children sat on the seats without fathers and mothers because of him. He had, to, he had to be reminded when children avoided him, he had to wonder. I wonder if, if it was my command some point that killed their mother and father and that's why they walked away from me. I wonder when that lady wouldn't look me in the eyes, I wonder if I had somehow given the nod, the thumbs up to have her husband executed. I'm just... Nevertheless, even after Paul was at least somehow given some insight to what his future, I want us to look at 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. I hope this passage of Scripture will mean even more to us after tonight than it's ever meant. Paul said to the Corinthian church, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul didn't say feel sorry for me Paul didn't say man you just don't know what I've been through today you don't know what I'm going through you know life's kind of tough when you live it one day at a time and sometimes we think well if I just knew what the future holds you may not want to know that But here's God that puts his arm around Paul and says, I want to show you something. Here's the good. 
Let me show you this other side. And Paul kept walking. And then he said, I gladly, I'll take pleasure in these reproaches and these necessities and persecutions and distresses. And then he says, when I am weak, then am I strong. And so tonight as we stand, I want to ask you, please hear me. When you look in the mirror and you see your limitations, when you think if I just had this, I could do so much more. If I just had that, I could do so much more. If I had more resources or if I had better health or if I had, if I had a better education, if I had more abilities, if I had more talent. When you look at yourself and think about how limited you are or how unable you are to do much for the kingdom, I'm imploring you to look back in scriptures and find times when God took the weak and used them in a mighty way. Imprisoned, he wrote letters. Beaten in stocks and chains. He said, I gotta get this word out. But he wasn't alone. He had great forerunners. Think of Hannah, who wanted a child, and she turned to the Lord in desperation. And in her moment of weakness, even falsely accused by the priest, in her moment of weakness in prayer, who someone misunderstood her entire motive, she, in her weakness, came to God. And what did God do? He didn't just give her a baby to hold. He gave her a Samuel. A Samuel that was destined to be one of the greatest spiritual leaders in all of Israel. Daniel was just a teenage boy, hear me young people, when the Lord gave him strength to stand against the king of Babylon, he was completely yielded to God's will. Mary was just a young teenage girl when God asked her to carry the Messiah in her virgin womb, who was even accused of the Roman guards of him being an illegitimate child. Absolutely. What a reproach she lived under. (laughs) But she stood for the cause. Amen. And when she gave birth to a baby, she didn't just give birth to a boy. She gave birth to Jesus Christ. If there's one thing I'm sure of, it is this. If I just stay in the Bible and with the Bible characters, I will lose some of you that are standing here this evening. And so I want to be very specific And I want to be very relevant because if I just talk about Hannah, if I just talk about Daniel, if I just talk about Moses and Abraham, or if I just talk about these people, then we're all going to feel like we've been let off the hook. And so I'm coming right home where we live tonight. Some in this house fight depression on a regular basis. Others battle loneliness. Some in this house battle sickness and disease. Some battle tremendous pressure of feeling inferior. You just go ahead and name your particular weakness. If I left it off the list, you fill in the blank. And that can be an obstacle if you allow it to be. Or we can take this to God and say, God, in my weakness, I can be made strong. (laughs) Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost settling in 
this place tonight. That in my weakness, I can still be used of God. I may not be able to do what I did yesterday, but where I am from the platform of where I stand in my weakness, I can be made strong. Amen. I'm going to tell you tonight, we need to allow the Spirit of God to just settle in on us this evening and let the Spirit of the Lord touch our hearts. Because in the midst of our weakness, God can still use us to defeat the strongest. In the midst of our simplicity, God can use us to confound the wise. He can take our life and make us an inspiration to everybody that we come into contact with. Amen. I'm telling you tonight that God is looking for some water out of an unlikely well. I wonder if we could just push past all of our complexes and push past all of our feelings and say, Lord, I'm just going to come yield myself and surrender myself to you tonight on this Wednesday night. Amen. Can we come on this Wednesday night and say, Lord, here I am. I'm just going to come to you as I am. It may not look like in the minds of men, the lives of others, that I have a lot to weigh myself against, but I'm bringing all my flaws to you. I'm just going to bring them to the altar. Amen. Why don't we find a place to pray this evening and ask God to touch us and help help us to realize that even as we are, God can lift us up if we need to be lifted up. God can abase us if we need to be abased. If we're out of balance, God can bring balance to our lives. He can use us if we'll surrender ourselves to His will. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.